All right, sound is speeding. We are recording. Cool. All right, let's begin. Either they don't know, don't show, I don't care about what's going on in the hood. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Adventures in Black Cinema. Again, my name is Desmond Thorne. I will be your host and your film aficionado for the day. And as a reminder, I do this because I'm a low-key expert. I am a filmmaker. I am a film programmer. And I just live breathe and eat film for better or for worse. Today's episode is called Adventures in Power and Punk Rock, and we will be getting into the nitty gritty of the film Fast Color. Now today is a very special episode because we have our first guest on the show. Please welcome my very good friend and fellow film aficionado, Miss Shay Fillmore. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. I'm like blushing. Yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I, I didn't know I was the first guest, the you first one. are the very first one, and you are the only person I thought of to have as my first guest, actually. Oh my goodness, you're going to make me cry. Yes, oh, wow. welcome. So before we get into things, uh, what is your role kind of in the film world in New York City? Like, what do you do? So after high school, I went to like an acting school. That was like a two-year thing, and I was like, that's cool, but I think I need to know more just in general about the world because they really just be sending actors out not knowing anything, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, Mm -hmm. you know. So I went to like the new school for two years and my focus was like cinema studies. And I was like, oh, this is super cool. I kind of did it the hard way first. I like started accidentally with like theory and then worked my way like down to like history, which was like insane. Uh, And I don't remember any of it. But then after college, I started working at a micro cinema in Brooklyn And I would just kind of like watch like, you know, the reception because I was, you know, there, I would see the reception to certain films. I'm like, oh, if we showed this, if we showed that. Plus it was also like a video rental place. So I had access to thousands and thousands of movies. I was just constantly watching movies every day. And then also like dealing in movie events. And then eventually I was kind of like, oh, what if I started programming things and had a series uh, about films directed by women that was like up and down, up and down, which I'm sure we'll talk about like why certain things are up and certain things are down. And then once that place closed, I kind of had to start over again at like a larger like cinema chain. Um, and I've kind of made the same progression of like working on the ground floor, seeing things, working events, hosting events, programming some things. It's weird because I feel like, and maybe this is just like crazy imposter syndrome just like coming in. It feels like I've gotten such a late 
start in all of this. So there's so much stuff to take in. There's so many like movies, so many like, so not only is there mainstream popular movies, movies that are like culty, movies that have yet to be discovered as cult, then you get passionate about the things you get passionate about, which is like films directed by women, films about black women, films made by black people, like that kind of stuff. So there's so much to take in and it's horrible to like try to organize that. But it's what we do. Absolutely. It is literally what we do. And I must say, Shades being kind of modest, her independent women film series was easily one of the best in the city. And I'm so sad that the place that it happened, Videology, closed because it was so fucking good. Every film that I saw there was so enriching. Uh, one of my favorite films in recent years, The Fits, I saw there. Um, and it was just, it's really great to go to a space where you are just seeing films directed by women and seeing the vast uh, variety that is there. And also uh, something that Shay used to say that kind of ties into the film that we're talking today is that you can watch, and it should be everyone's goal to watch at least one film directed by a woman per week. So that at the end of the year, you have watched 52 at least films directed by women. It is a very possible thing to do. I think something that we should all strive for. Especially since films directed by women often are extremely personal. And like this film, touch you in a way that like sometimes you're not in the mood to be like touched. So mm. you're like, all right, I'm just going to watch The Golden Girls and uh, Hairspray and <laughs> just kind of call it a day. Yes, um, yes. But and that is self-care. It is. But if you put forth the effort, your perspective on just like the film industry is going to be completely changed. If you do this for like a year you're, you're going to be like, oh, wow, like the rose colored glasses are off. I really see like this for what it is. And then you'll kind of realize that most films are very mediocre. Yes, 100%. And in terms of talking about this film specifically, this is what I would consider to be a black film uh, directed by a white woman. And in terms of what a black film is, like we did in the first episode of the podcast, Ava has her rules, which are kind of similar to mine. Mine being that, of course, there must be a Black person in the fucking movie. The movie has to be about the Black person and their journey. I love to see a predominantly Black cast so that the we're not dealing with tokenism in the film and dealing with like the white perspective on black people. And I also love to see, you know, if a film is directed and also written, produced, you know, DP'd, designed by black people. And it also must uh, touch and live in the hearts of black people. And I think that's kind of where some of these films that are black films directed by white people, I think that's kind of where they kind of um, jump the broom, let's say, and do, uh, in a way, become black films. And some of them don't quite make the mark. So something that we're going to do with Miss Shay before we get into the nitty gritty of Fast Color is play a little game I like to call Who's Invited? Mm -hmm. This is a tasty burger. Now, Pulp Fiction, obviously, not a black film, but no, no, Samuel no. L. Jackson being a stalwart of black film. 
So basically, when I have a guest on the show, we will play this game to decide which black films directed by white people get invited to the cookout. And this is not a way to celebrate white folks or give them a pat on the back for doing the bare minimum. It's so that we can think critically about these films when we see them and ask ourselves about the intentions behind them and the gaze that is present. Um, I think sometimes some of these films slip under the cracks and you may assume that's directed by black people or written by a black person, but then you see it and you're just like, hmm, there's something missing. And then you do your research and you're like, oh, because a white was behind this. So over the course of one minute, I will shout out the names of black films directed by whites, and you must respond with either Yezer, if it's invited, or by Felicia, if it's not. You shall not pass. If there's a film you have not seen, just kind of go off the vibe that you've gotten from the movie or things that you've heard, let's say. Uh, so let's do a little, a little, a little practice round first uh, with some films that I think are pretty obvious examples. Beloved. What you yes, think? Sir. Yes. I would say so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jonathan Demi's a sweetie. Yes. Yes, I agree. Thank you. Thank you. And it's a great film. Um, the Color Purple. Yes, sir. Awesome. Uh, the Wiz. Yes, sir. That is the epitome of Invited. <laughs> 100%. 100% <laughs> And uh, a more recent example, Waves. Bye, Felicia. Oh. <laughs> yes. Bye, Felicia, indeed. So I think... Get out of here. <laughs> So I think you got the gist here. Uh, let me start the timer. And... All right. Hidden figures. Yes, sir. Why do fools fall in love? Yes, sir. Coming to America. Yes, sir. The last black man in San Francisco. Bye, Felicia. <laughs> Foxy Brown. Ugh, yes, sir. <laughs> Babylon. Bye, Felicia. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I'll get into that one at some point. Uh, girlhood. Yes, sir. The Fits. Yes, sir. Hustle and Flow. Yes, sir, but just for the song. Right, exactly. Thanks. Uh, Dolomite is my name. Mm. Yes, sir, but only slightly. Word, Django Unchained. Bye, Felicia. Yes, and last but absolutely not least, Fast Color. Yes, sir. Yes, awesome. So yeah, I'm excited to overtime, like, see what people think of some of these movies. I have my opinions and, you know, me and Shay tend to agree on these things. So like, I pretty much agree with what she said. Um, I feel like regret already for, for saying yes to Hidden Figures because now I'm just thinking about Kevin Costner being like, <laughs> everyone pees the same color. And that is whack. I agree. I absolutely agree. There are things about that film that do feel kind of like... Um, white apologists like the white people were just like let's make these white people like a little bit better like let's give kirsten dunst a redemptive moment where it's like that's not necessary you know because that doesn't happen in real life <laughs> 
So speaking of these films and giving Fast Color the yeser to being invited to the cookout, let's get into the nitty gritty of this film. You are here for one reason, one reason only, to learn, to learn, to learn. Yes, 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 Morgan Freeman. We're gonna learn a little bit about this movie. Fast Color was released last year, 2019 directed by Julia Hart. And it's about a woman named Ruth, played by the amazing Gugu Mbacha Raw. And Gugu, we love her. She is such an amazing, versatile actor. And her character, Ruth, is on the run from government scientists who are after her because she has superpowers that cause tremors in the earth. Ruth seeks refuge with her mom, played by the incredible and irreplaceable Lorraine Toussaint, and Ruth's estranged young daughter, played by Sanaya Sidney, who also both have powers. In fact, these powers have been in this family for generations, but there's something particularly special about Ruth's powers. So when did you first hear about this film, Shay? I heard about it when it premiered at South by Southwest, I, cause that, you know, everybody that saw it and liked it was like, oh my God, black lady superhero movie. Like if you're tired of like bloated, you know, pro-military superhero movies, this is like definitely something that's going to change your mind on the genre. Uh, and then I also was like curious that it was written by, like directed by Julia Hart, but also co-written with her husband, Jordan Horowitz, who is infamously uh, Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. Moonlight won. Come on, this is not a joke. Come this on. is not a joke. I'm afraid they read the wrong thing. This is not a joke. Moonlight has won Best Picture. Moonlight, Best Picture. Well, I'm going to be really proud to hand this to my friends from Moonlight. Yes. So I was definitely like, oh, okay, allies. Okay, okay, come through, come through, come through. And obviously I was excited. I tend, now that I'm a bit older, I tend to just kind of not really listen to critics when they go to festivals, especially after having like, like when I volunteered for Sundance, like a few years ago, like everything's going to feel elevated and hyped because you're seeing it before anybody else. And, you know, especially if you're getting paid for it and all this stuff and people are paying attention to what you say, I just don't trust anybody anymore because we've been burned several times. I mean, you remember three billboards. Ooh. Yep. Oh yes. The girls loved it. Mm-hmm. The girls loved mm-hmm. it. And then black people saw it and they were like, no, yeah, it's bad. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> That's not how so you I do don't, I don't really listen to critics. Um, <laughs> But I was excited for this. It was on my radar. Hell yeah. What was really sort of like messed up was that it didn't come out until like a year later. Yes. Uh, You see, when you look up this film everywhere, you'll see uh, 2018 behind it. But it was not released in theaters until 2019. And how many theaters was it even released in? In New York City, in the the Big Apple, the big city, it was showing in two theaters. I like I one in Manhattan. I don't remember which one. And then mm-hmm. the only place it was showing in Brooklyn was at Court Street. Wow, that so is. I had to go to Court Street, which I don't often go to. Jesus, it didn't turn the lights off once the film started, and so it was like me, this like 
older, like, you know, woman probably in her like thirties, like her mid thirties and her father, both black. And we're just like, uh, 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 so I was like, all right, now I gotta go say something. So I like went and I was like, hey, hey, the lights are still on. And then we walk, you know, 10 miles back to where the theater was and the lights were off by then. I felt really bad for bothering her. But um, <laughs> so I missed actually like the first like few minutes. So by the time I saw it, like I sat down in my seat, like Gugu was already like in the, like checking into the hotel. Got you. Or the motel. It's crazy because normally when things get picked up at Sundance, you usually see them like later that year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was bought by Code Black, mm-hmm. which is like the African-American focused like baby section of Lionsgate. Yes. Um, which also bought Blind Spotting. Yes. And put Blind Spotting out in July. Yeah. It was bought in January at Sundance and was out by July. Yeah. So I don't understand like what the what the slow pace was about. But at the beginning of 2019, Lionsgate had basically like ended business with Code Black. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of really slashed their budget. So obviously the the distributor had no money, I guess. But it's also like I'm just not sure. Like and that when you look at the films that Code Black had their hands on they're not like this film they're more like thrillers more i don't i'm not i don't know i don't know what i'm trying to say about that gotcha yeah it's it's like a weird thing to just like kind of have this thing floating around absolutely you could obviously have an audience absolutely i mean i didn't know that much going in when I first saw it, but I remember hearing about it from you posting about it and a few of our other friends that had heard about it and saw it in theaters. And as I was watching this movie and you get to the scene where Lorraine Toussaint, Ruth's mom, is reading through the history book of their family. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, this is a movie about a long lineage of Black women with superpowers? How was this not marketed the way that it should have been. And I'm like, oh, because it's about Black women. Because the very thing that I love about it is the very thing that people said, like, "Mm, this makes it hard to sell. I don't know where we can put this. It's like, "Mm, I know. (laughs) Just put it out and people will find it. It's that kind of really good fucking movie, you know? Yeah, I like never saw a trailer for it. Never. It, it never, never played in any, like the trailer never played in any theaters. It's it's also just like frustrating because like, who are these people that are like making these decisions on like how something's going to sell? Like, obviously they're not smart people because that studio, not Code Black, but it's parent studio put a bunch of money into that Hellboy remake that nobody right. saw, right. nobody wanted. And so who are you to make the decision on whether or not people are going to show up for this movie? Also, you're not paying attention because Black people always show up. Exactly. I like at my at my job, like intro to screening for that um that movie with Lupita, Little Monsters. Right. And like there was, you know, some regulars, but mostly like black women, because black women want to see this movie that Lupita's in. Girls trip. After girls trip, we shouldn't have had a question on like 
whether or not movies about black women would make money. Literally no question. And in the last episode of this podcast, I talked about Waiting to Exhale, which came out in 1995. That is a film with not one, not two, not three, but four black women who are top billed. And it made so much fucking money in 1995. We just see it over and over and over again in the media, in so many different spaces, and including in the Black Lives Matter movement. Black women are being left behind, and it is so beyond frustrating. And it's just, like, shitty because, like, obviously we all, like, Black women show up for each other. It gets more complicated when we have to, like... Like, for me, it's a no-brainer to stand up with my, like, trans sisters and Absolutely. stuff like that. Then it's, like, like not a conversation that other people are, like, willing to have. So we don't even, like, have solidarity on that front. But then to include, like, cis straight Black men, it's, like, even more complicated. I, like, I'm at a point where I'm skeptical. I'm, I'm skeptical of, like, people who are, like, trying to, like, be the voice of this movement to kind of like use their platform to make a point to get people to understand, but they're not mentioning black women. They're not mentioning black LGBTQIA uh, people. Like they're not doing that. Absolutely agreed. I would just love to see even in our own community, just more inclusiveness uh, in general. And that's not to say that like, you know, we're doing something that is uh, so wrong that things should be stopped in their tracks. It's like, no, like, let's include other people along the way. Like, the exclusion of trans Black women in general and has been bananas to me. And it made me very emotional to see all of that support at the protest and at the rally at the Brooklyn Museum. It was so amazing to see all of those people show up. And I'd like to see more of that. Just, Just more, It was also more. very well organized. Yes, yes. And that's another thing is that like, not to discredit anybody's like passion and like determination to kind of like get things done. But like, we also have to be wary of like people like using this moment and this like attention to like boost themselves. Yeah. Which I think is why like a lot of like, Maybe it's genuine, but that's another reason why I don't buy, like, a lot of people who are so, like, not in tune with the community, like, coming in and trying to speak over people, especially people who have dedicated their lives to doing the work from a jump. Yeah. I don't understand. Exactly. I don't understand. Exactly. It just doesn't, like, and it's frustrating. There's something very dehumanizing feeling in having to, like, force people, basically, to watch films directed for films directed by black women or films about black women. When I was doing that independent women series, I'm a cheerleader, completely sold out. Right. Which is amazing. I mean, all these films are amazing. Right. Completely sold out. Buffy, the vampire slayer, completely sold out. Uh, Bend it like Beckham. I don't want to make it, I don't want to make it seem like I'm like bashing other people. No, totally. I totally get But these are just like films with like bigger platforms and a bigger cult following. Absolutely. Um, But like Daughters of the Dust, 10 people. Eve's Bayou, 10, five people. The Fits, maybe a little bit more. Professor Marston and the Wonder Women, which was also like completely mishandled. In terms of this film being directed by a white woman, something that I like that she does as like, as like a true ally is that the powers 
that are present in this movie, first of all, they're very natural and organic, which I feel like definitely fits. And also the fact that she's not making a movie where the the burden to save the world is on the shoulders of Black women, which I feel like you get in a lot of narratives uh, about Black women in terms of uh, when they are saving a situation, whether that be a micro situation or a macro situation, it feels very burdensome. And this film, very specifically, I feel like she's kind of asking the question, like, who would have the power to save us all if they choose to? Black women. I love that. I love that they they don't talk about them being black at all. Bo, the mother, played by Lorraine Toussaint. Uh, mentions something like talks about how like she met Ruth's father, a white man, obviously, and how like her mother wouldn't allow her to go into town, obviously, because we know why. And like he would buy like her, her baby daddy would buy her candy and they would like walk kind of at a distance like around and they would do that every week, every week for like years until like her mother found out. Like, obviously we know why that is. Obviously we know why like this was so taboo. And so I love that. Yeah, they're not like, saving the world in some race-focused, like, thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is, I mean, there is, like, fucked-up racial stuff about the government wanting to test on her. Oh, there's just so many, like, amazing ideas in this film. That Absolutely. I'm, I'm not even sure we're, like, intentional, but because they, like, decided to cast it this way, just bring so much more life to it. Right. And, like, so much more meaning. I mean, their home is this beautiful, retro-looking, like, home with gorgeous pottery, amazing drawings and plants and records and books and photographs. It's such a lived-in, bright, like, home. Yes. And, but, like, and it's, like, a space that you would want to be in, but it's not, like, a picnic. Like, they don't have water. They have to go into town because it hasn't rained in years. But they're making the best out of it, which is so attuned to the Black struggle. And then, like, the fact that they're isolated oh how i wish that i had just like a home maybe not my permanent home but like a home right isolated from everything else that i could just like go to absolutely and not have to worry about anything unless i had to go into town and i love in terms of um not only their powers but it seems like a life philosophy that this family has that's repeated throughout the film is that if something's broken it stays broken and i think in watching that this film currently it makes me think of a lot of the systems that we have in place a lot of these systems including like obviously the cops the governmental systems the education system If it's broken, it stays broken. So therefore, we must create something completely new out of it. You know, we can't just like try to piece back these things together because the fact is it never really worked in the first place, you know? Which is something that Ruth sort of like comes to realize. Mm -hmm. She had a way of dealing with her seizures that caused like tremors, uh, which was drugs. Right. Got off of the drugs after she had her child 
realized that that wasn't like a way to like live and has been kind of like dealing with this. But because she like saw that there is a possible like beautiful future, found a different way to manage her powers and herself and was able to like see the beautiful colors and fully be in control. Absolutely. It's so beautiful, it y'all. So, you watch this movie. <laughs> it is so beautiful. I was just so struck by that even more so the second time I was seeing it. The first time I saw it, I was taking in so much of the story and so much of just the the oh my god of it all. Watching it a second time, the filmmaking is absolutely gorgeous. I'm not sure what their budget was, but the special effects are perfect in a way that makes them feel real. Like Marvel wishes that they could show some superpowers that feel as real as these do and that feel as beautiful and just like organic as these do, you know? Um, And there's a moment in this movie that I think is so powerful. Uh, It's near the end where um, they found Ruth, they found Lorraine Toussaint, and they've also found uh, the young daughter and the government and the cops and the scientists all have guns pointed toward Lorraine Toussaint. And Lorraine Toussaint uses her powers to disintegrate the guns. What a powerful fucking moment. Like it was nothing. Like it was nothing. Like it was nothing. Like, like it was, it was very much like a Black Panther gun. So primitive, like, like, why are you doing this? Like, this isn't going to solve anything. Also, they cast the most racist looking white guys. Yes. One hundred percent. And they look scary. <laughs> absolutely. And I think that's something else that like these filmmakers had an awareness of um, is just how scary that they can be to us. You know, they didn't take the moment to be like, "Mm, you know, let's kind of like skate past this and let's give these white people uh, a moment of redemption. It's like, no, no, these people are fucking scary. They are after these people. Like, let's do that justice, you know? Like when at the beginning of the film, when uh, Ruth is on the run and she goes to that diner and there's that creepy man that's talking to her who's obviously like a fed, obviously, because like, why are you talking to me? But she like leaves the diner and it's like, okay, there's a cop that's checking out my car and like obviously can tell it's my car or I can get into the car with this white man. Right. And like that, like I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. When that moment happened, I was like, that is so scary. And as someone that is black, that is so scary. Yeah, absolutely. And Ooh. there is, um, when I first saw this movie, the powers element definitely got me and surprised me. But something else that really surprised me and something that you don't see a lot in Black film, Black culture, is the idea of punk rock. There is a song that is heavily featured in this movie by a band called X-Ray Specs. And X-Ray Specs was a punk band from the 70s that was British and fronted by a biracial Black woman who went by the name of Polly Styron. A lot of these songs in the punk vibe are a lot about feminism and a lot about her identity as a biracial woman living in Britain. Uh, the first song I ever heard by them was a song called Oh Bondage Up Yours, uh, which I saw in an episode of The Handmaid's Tale, a show that I like for better or for worse. But I'm gonna play a little bit of that so you can kind of get uh, their vibe. Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard, but I think... Oh, bondage! Up yours! One, two, three, four! 
So that opening line is just one of the most badass things that I have ever heard. And so X-Ray Specs are kind of almost like a through line through this movie. Um, speaking of the records, as you mentioned, Shay, there's a scene where um, Gugu's character Ruth is talking to her daughter about three records that she found from her past. And these three records are very, very specific because these are three women in music who are really bucking the trend and continue to, in their own way of uh, not necessarily being punk rock artists, but standing for going against the trend and kind of being in these spaces that you don't necessarily see a lot of black women in. First of all, you see Lauren Hill, who just continues to surpass expectations with the Fugees and then with her solo record after giving birth to a child and still being very, very young and not necessarily feeling the need to do a record after, even though we would love one. Um, Nina Simone, who obviously in her own way just bucked trends all the time, and X-Ray Specs. Uh, you also hear their song, Germ-Free Adolescence, when Gugu is in a restaurant and she goes to the jukebox. And this is a song that I happened to hear a few months before I saw the film in kind of doing my research about X-Ray Specs. And I was so happy and surprised to hear this song in the movie. I will play a little bit of that for you right now. So good. So, so good. Um, so what do you think about this theme of kind of punk rock in this movie and kind of seeing a theme of Black women in spaces where you don't usually see them, including just this film in general? Ruth's character is very, like, reformed punk. Like, mm. her arc is very, like, reformed punk. And there is a rebelliousness in all of the women that you can, like, see. Like, Bo, you know, sneaking out to, like, spend time with this white boy. Ruth, like, getting away and kind of kind of having that journey that she has where she... And she eventually, like, ends up getting pregnant. Uh, and then Lila, the daughter, like, you know, using her smarts, because she's extremely smart, to be like, oh, I want to fix this truck. Yeah. Uh, just so I can get away. So with that sort of isolation, you're dreaming of something more. You want to like try something different, but then like as you get older, you realize that like the isolation means something different. Yeah, home, like means something different. Absolutely. Um, because you know what? Ten years before, Google's like, yeah, like if I were Layla, I would also like get out of here because that's what she did. Absolutely. It's nice to also just like see black women just like enjoying punk music. Yeah. Like, very cool. <laughs> she had she head bobs like I do when I go to shows, which I yes. love. Yes. The use of it at the very end of the film, like when the credits come up, is insane. It's so good. So well earned. 
such a good needle drop, especially now that they both have this sort of like freedom. They know like they have a place to go. Yes. It feels like they're free right now. It feels like to your point at the end of this movie, when they are going off in search of more of these women who have the exact powers that Ruth has to like open up the sky. uh, It really does feel like it fits in line with Polly Styron's ad that she put in the paper for when she was starting X-Ray Specs, which was that she was looking for young punks who want to stick it together, who basically want to fight the man, who want to rebel and fight against the bullshit that is happening. So I love, love, love that ending. And I love that whole, I love that punk philosophy as well, for sure. Season two of Stranger Things wishes. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And a question I have for you in regards to this film, you know, this film being written and directed by white folks, you know, even with the best intentions, there are little things that kind of fall through the cracks, little blind spots, if you will. I wonder what you would have added to this film from your experience as a Black woman if you were writing or directing this film? At first, when I saw it, I felt like it was a little hesitant. It it didn't get into, like, specifics. But now, and I guess I'm just, like, in a different place. It, it does hit in a lot of ways that I didn't think that, like, that white people would, like, pick up on. Like, the idea, and so many families have, like, deep family histories, but, like, I do not have like photographs of like my grandmother on my mother's side, her mother and like going on. Like I don't have that strong like family like lineage. And it's amazing to sort of just like see that and to see it documented. Yes. Also like insane. Like I think that's really nice after rewatching it. My one thing, it's hard enough for movies to kind of get everybody in a family and to have that family like make, make sure they like look like a family i think this film did it did a good job with that the girl that plays lila is so adorable she looks like normani she looks like baby normani yes yes oh my god but when they flash back to young gugu young ruth like toddler not toddler like maybe like six ish right her hair texture is completely different Wow. So the proper, it wouldn't make sense. Like the young, the, the little girl has like 4A texture and Gugu has like 3C, like strong Word. 3C. And there's Word. no way unless she shaved her head and maybe somehow it grew, grew back as a different texture. There is no way that that would happen. And Absolutely. I'm certain they could have found a young black girl with... um with a similar texture. Certainly, um, yeah, absolutely. That's just like a silly, goofy thing. But that's a real thing and a, a, a real testament as to why we need to be in more of these positions as in like, you know, if you were a casting director, if this was a Black casting director, which I'm not entirely sure if there was or there wasn't, but I feel like probably not. But if you were this casting director, that's something that you would have made important. That's a note that you would have given and that would have added to the depth of the Black experience in this film. So that's that's important shit. That's really important shit. (laughs) Yeah. I think other than that, like, I was re-getting up on the television show that they're going to, like, make out of it, which is going to be on Amazon, produced by Viola Davis. 
can't so wait. What, I mean, obviously, like, there's no real update because there's so much going on. <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah. Julia Hart just made a film for Disney Plus. Um, oh, yes, I heard about Girl. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it seems like the two of them would still be writing and she would shoot the pilot. I just kind of hope they um, diversify that writer's room. Oh, I really hope so too. Absolutely. I hope that that is a very specific call that they put out. And I hope that the vibes that I do get from the work that they did on this film lead to them doing that. It feels like something that they would do, but you can honestly never be sure. But I really hope. Um, In conclusion... This is a fucking dope, 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 dope movie to put on your radar. It celebrates the innate and organic power that Black women have and celebrates us in places that you don't usually see. And that, of course, specifically goes, again, to Black women. And it is streaming on Hulu and Amazon Prime. You have no excuse not to watch this movie because I know you subscribe to one of them. And as Shay said, there is an upcoming television show that I'm so, so excited about. As you see this movie end, you see how they could continue to build out this world. And I'm excited to see the other women. So check out this fucking movie, y'all. It is so good. I definitely think, like, if you were someone that saw, like, A Wrinkle in Time and kind of thought it was a little, like, wonky, but loved the idea of, like, Black women, like, using their abilities and... um, Because, like, both of those films do have, like, a... Both of these films have, like, a a wellness aspect to them. True. So much of it is about just like clearing your mind and focusing on the positive um, and not the negative. Um, Mm -hmm. So if you liked aspects of like A Wrinkle in Time, like this is the like, this is the movie. (gasps) Check it out, y'all. All my life I had to fight. Yes, it is time for this week's You Better Act Award. The award that we give out on a weekly basis to someone that we have seen that is just acting. They are chewing up the screen in either a big performance, subtle performance, or something in between. So, this week's You Better Act Award goes to... Delroy Lindo in The Five Bloods. Now, this movie, I was kind of a little hesitant uh, to watch, not just because it's kind of following the same formula of Black Klansmen in that uh, Spike Lee is taking a already written script, kind of doctoring it and doing his own thing with it. And I didn't love Black Klansmen and I kind of thought that that may be part of the reason why I didn't love it. But I really, really liked Defy Bloods. I think there need to be more stories and more narratives shared about Black Vietnam vets. It's a very specific story of a group of people who are very much left behind in a lot of ways. This film touches on mental health issues in the Black community in a very, very real way. Oftentimes when you're dealing with things like PTSD and other mental issues, they can be portrayed on screen in a very, very big way that feels very showy. And this performance is not that. It feels very real based on uh, family members that I have that were in Vietnam and friends who have parents that were in Vietnam. And actually in the future, 
a film idea that I have in mind, about a third of it will take place from the perspective of a woman who is married to a man that just got back from Vietnam. Because I think that's also a narrative that's missing. Um, the Black women who these men came home to. So that's something that I would die, I would love to dive into sometime in the future. And it should be noted, along with Delroy Lindo giving a great performance in this movie, we also have Clark Peters and Isaiah Whitlock Jr. showing up. When you walk in the garden, watch your So Shay, I don't know if I've ever shared this theory with you, but I have a theory that three quarters of black films will feature at least one nigga from The Wire. And this movie has two niggas from The Wire. So <gasps> <laughs> every time that happens, we will play that sound. It has happened now three episodes in a row. So I'm looking forward to seeing how this trend continues. Um, and if... Delroy Lindo is not nominated for an Oscar for this performance. It'll feel just like Lapita and Alfre Woodard last year. Just this, um, this not knowing what to do with these black roles that aren't slave roles or aren't you know in extreme poverty. Have you seen this movie yet, Shay? No, I had to text you to see if it was going to up my stress. Um, and you were like, it's going to be on Netflix forever. Just maybe chill and wait. So I've waited. Um, but I've definitely, like, I find it very, like, I've seen a handful of Spike's films. So I, I'm I'm very, like, I'm not sure how I feel about Spike. Spike's, like, messy in a lot of ways that yeah. aren't really my thing. Totally. Um, totally. And I am extra irked by, like, Anytime anybody wants to be um, woke or try to seem like an expert on black cinema, they just bring up Spike. Yeah. Like, especially as a woman, I'm just kind of like. Ugh. Absolutely. There are way more things to dig beyond just Spike Lee. And you're right. A lot of like white cinephiles will just bring him up as an example. And there's way more people. There's way more people with more of a consistency. And I like a lot of Spike's movies. Uh, but, like, do your research. And like, obviously, Spike has, like, the biggest catalog out of, like, right. any Black director, pretty much. Right. So that's, like, understandable, especially since it's kind of more, not art house, but, like, not your average, like average film or whatever he's not making average biopics or whatever everything's gonna have some flair and spark to it absolutely even if it's a little weird absolutely um, i agree with you in terms of this is a very it's a very timely film and i will would absolutely understand anyone who needs to take their time to watch this because there are moments in it that were very triggering for me to see at any time, but especially given this time that we're in right now. And it's a Netflix co-production, so it will be streaming on Netflix forever and ever. So check it out when you feel the need and when you feel like you are in the place to watch. Um, Delroy's got that Oscar in the bag though. Yeah. He's a man. True. And also, like, who who else would get it? True. <laughs> ben Affleck in the way back. <gasps> LOL. LOL. <laughs> it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. 
Uh, so yes, thank you so much for joining me, Shay. Everyone give Shay a round of applause. This was, so, this was so much fun. Of course, of course, you were the first person that came up in my mind. Some food for thought before we close the show for all of the members in the audience. This is a question that we've asked a couple times on Smart, Funny, and Black. And I want to pose to y'all talking about a film that has to do with superpowers. As a Black person living today in America, what superpower would you choose and why? Leave us a comment on SFB Society, comment on the video, and also, you know, hit us up on IG. And next week's film is going to be Higher Learning. We're going to talk a little bit about these protests that are happening in the film and also in real life. And this film has Larry and Tyra. Larry Fishburne and Tyra Banks. I would love to see them do a show together called Larry and Tyra, where they just kind of go on adventures together. That would be lit. I would love it. <laughs> Larry would lose his mind. Oh my God. And that's exactly why I want to see it. That's exactly why. She so, is on it all the time. All the time. Always on 100. Always on 1 million. Um, thank you so much for joining us, everybody. And also hit us up on social media, on Instagram, Adventures in Black Cinema. Thank you to Shay. Thank you to our audio engineer, Matt Mozzarella. Thank you to our producer, Angie, and our executive producer, Ms. Amanda Seals. Peace out, y'all. next Oh, it's over. Great.